Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 202, recorded May 3rd, 2015. And today we're back into Wildstorm's run of Star Trek and covering Voyager, Planet Killer, issues 1 through 3. Yeah, it's kind of cool how they, uh, they bounce around between the different franchises with their specials like this. So uh, it's cool seeing Voyager. Right. Yeah. Now, of course, this particular uh, story arc, these three issues, uh, on the surface, is a lot less original than I was expecting. And how much detail should we go into? Or should we just? I think we definitely shouldn't uh, say too much now. Right. What do you think? Uh, I agree. I hadn't looked at the covers or anything, so when when I got to uh, the big surprise, I, I actually was surprised. Yeah. Uh, which I think is at the end of the, the first one, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, the covers don't give it away, which is good. Although the second cover the does The second have, cover would give it away. Well, it has some special guest stars. <laughs> and it does have the... Some unexpected guest stars. The title. Uh, so you probably... You could piece it together, but... Anyway. But by the time you go to the second issue, you already know from the first issue. So there you go. Right. The cat's out of the bag. So, uh, Ultimate Weapon, the title oh. of the first one, eh? Oh, I didn't even know they were titled. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I was just calling it Planet Killer number one, but... Uh, no, that works Ultimate too. Weapon. Okay. Well, uh, you want to just, just get into it? Yeah, is there any news lately that we'd want to mention? Um... Uh, nope. Not that I know of. Green Lantern uh, crossovers about ready to kick off. Looking forward to that. That's going to be so weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. I, I like Green Lantern. Um, yeah, one of these days we'll have to do the Star Trek uh, Legion of Superheroes crossover. Uh, IDW did before. Was that good, though? I oh, IDW read. did it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was IDW. Oh. Might be worthwhile. Yeah, well, we'll get to it eventually. We got to do everyone ever published. <laughs> Sounds good. I mean, as far as Star Trek news, uh, I did see that Jonathan Frakes said that uh, there is no plans for a Star Trek TV show. I know. I read that. It's like what the what the but. Mm. Yeah, no, so the, the, so if in the, the end, anniversary is coming. You should put it on TV, at least a miniseries or something. Something. Yeah, put it out the, a miniseries. Why not? You know, test the waters. But so in the end, Frake says they're happy with what they're making in the movie theater, and they don't want to dilute that gravy train. Uh, so they, so no TV show. It's like huh, okay, you know, maybe you don't need three TV shows on at the same time, but you know, <laughs> one would be fine. Oh, they never had three TV shows on. Well, time. come on, close. <laughs> It was always two, a rolling two. Okay, fine. Yeah, so um, Next Gen ended, and then Voyager picked up the next year? Or was there more of a gap? No, it was like the, later that same year. Okay, okay. Cool. So uh, I, I guess that's it for news, eh? Okay. All right, I don't have anything else as far as Star Trek goes. Cool, let's do it. All right. Well, the first one is entitled Ultimate Weapon. Uh, this is Star Trek Voyager Planet Killer Book One. Uh, it has a cover date of March 2001. Uh, the authors are Kristen Catherine Roach and Dean Wesley Smith, who have written quite a few Star Trek novels in the past. Robert Terenci was the penciler. Claude St. Austin. Aubin, Inker, Ryan Klein, Inc. Letterer, Wildstorm FX Colorist, and Jeff Moriarty, Editor. So the cover shows Janeway looking up 
and kind of to the side. And then uh, below her, we see like a strange alien creature of some sort. Uh, it's a very unique design. So the story starts off with Voyager arriving at a newly formed asteroid belt made up of what was once several planets. The crew find a single disabled ship nearby with a single life form aboard it, but its life signs are fading fast. Quickly, they beam the unknown alien straight to sickbay. Janeway orders the alien ship to be tractor beamed and towed out of the debris field. Later, Janeway has a brief conversation with the tentacled green alien. It states that a monster will eat them all up, and then he passes out. Seven contacts the captain and tells her that they have plotted the course of destruction and have also received a distress call from a nearby planet. Janeway orders that they cut the alien craft loose and head to try to save the planet before something arrives and destroys it. They arrive in time to watch a huge tubular creature ingest the planet. The alien pilot arrives to the bridge and informs them about the planet killer. He tells them that they are brave to try to save his planet from the monster, but it is helpless. Janeway says that they will have to try. They fire at the creature to try to get its attention. They succeed, and the creature starts to build up energy for an attack on the much, much smaller craft. To be continued. So that conocular, conical-shaped, cornucopia-shaped, uh, bugle-snack-food-shaped uh, <laughs> planet destroyers, pretty familiar looking it it is i was not expecting anything to be familiar in this story no although uh, planet killer i mean things like that have been used before uh but little did we realize that it actually was the same planet killer that was in the original taws tv episode the doomsday machine the doomsday machine indeed as soon as i saw it's like you know i was getting that vibe during the comic, but then when they actually showed it, it was like, I had mixed feelings. Oh, really? I was surprised. I and, and oh, what? Pleasantly surprised. Oh, pleasant. Well, okay. I was surprised, um, and I had a mixed feeling of pleasure and not pleasure. Right, so explain the not pleasure, because I, I, I can get the pleasure part, because that's, that's where I was. <laughs> well, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the Doomsday Machine is, I think, probably my third favorite Taz episode. I really enjoyed it. Lots of action going on. Uh, very quick pace in that episode. Um, lots of... Uh, I guess they probably would have blown their uh, their special effects budget for a while on that one. A lot of space battle kind of thingies. But um, I, quite frankly, I'm getting a little sick of all these rehashes of the Doomsday Machine. Because right now, um, we're in the middle of the Star Trek J.J. Abrams reboot uh, series, the ongoing comic series, doing the same thing. Uh, they're calling it Behemoth. And I know we've only read the first of two issues so far for the podcast, but um, you know that appears to be a rehash of Doomsday Machine. Now, my, mind you, these have been published very different time periods from each other, but still, right. we just so happen to be reading them at the same, well, close to the same time. So I'm like, oh, another Doomsday rehash, machine rehash. That, that's my downside. Right, right. Other than that, I, you know, yeah, cool. I, like, I, I, I love the original TV series episode. Right. Well, what, what really sprung to my mind when I, when I saw the Doomsday Machine or the Planet Killer, whatever we're calling it here, mm-hmm. um, it really got me to thinking that, you know, the, the movie uh, Star Trek Four also kind of borrowed from the Doomsday Machine because the oh, probe, the probe. If you look at the probe, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't have like a hollow tube inside of it, but it is still just like this big cylinder thing just floating around in space. That yep. it kind of and it even was going to destroy Earth, kind of. I mean, not the same way, but it was this big tube thing that came up, and then it was hard to destroy the Earth before we got some whales in there. <laughs> So Which I, I, I love those movies, but that really was ridiculous. Anyway. The whale one, or just... Uh, the, the fact that the whales and their song 
would tell the thing that was going to destroy the earth, hey, everything's cool. That that part was a little ridiculous, yes. Yes. But anyway, move on. But that one was definitely a, a comedy episode. It was. And and quite frankly, great. I, I like that. You know, take a break from all the uh, high body count episodes or movies. Right. So anyways, uh, the, the story did move fast. I mean, it's not a lot of uh, dialogue. There's a lot of, you know, great visuals. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as story goes, it, it moves really fast. Yeah. What'd yeah, the artwork, the artwork is pretty good. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I too think that it was a pretty fast pace. It's a quick read. I mean, quite frankly, it was like I got I got to the end of the first one. It was like, wow, that didn't take long at all. Right. Of course, it helps that you don't have a lot of complex story going on. But right. But but the fact that half of the story, half half of the pages are either you know two page spreads or a single page. Yeah, spread and usually with no word balloons, just showing this beam coming and scooping out a big chunk of the Earth or the planet. Right. Yeah, Looks they, cool, but uh, not a lot going on. Right. Yeah, and the artwork in general was quite good. Um, I think sometimes the faces were ninety percent of the time the faces looked good. They looked accurate. Um. At times a little simplistic, but it was good. Good art all the way around. And right. speaking of good art, I really uh, like the alien. Yeah, he is an interesting little guy, right? He's very interesting. Very different. He's very asymmetrical. So for those of you that may not have a comic, um, I don't know. What, what, he almost looks like, like, like lungs or something. Green. <laughs> it's like two lungs kind of oriented in a in a weird way uh and forming almost like an umbrella kind of thing at the top of the head very interesting uh are those eyes that kind of look those tubes there yeah i think i'm so. not quite sure yeah i don't know i think that's what they want you to think anyway uh very very uh, unique design very very original I, I i like it right to me it looked like a like a a bicycle seat that was kind of like broken into two, <laughs> two uh, uneven, you know, uh, not exactly a hundred percent same shape or anything, and then right. kind of like still stick stu- stuck on there and with put some eyeballs on there, right? And then his body itself just seems to be a big mass of tentacles. It doesn't ever actually show it, right? Yeah, interesting. He's a nice guy. He's very chatty. Yeah, and uh, speaks English so well. Yeah, that's a Universal Translator. I know. But let me just say <laughs> that I kind of liked, even though it takes a little bit more time to get to it, I like the way the ongoing series is handling that better. Where here, boom, right away, this thing looks about as different an alien as I've ever seen. And he's like speaking colloquially English. It's like, right. hey, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> you, are go- you are going to attack the monsters to save my people? You are noble, but you will die. Our entire fleet could not stop it. So it's like, it's just a little too easy. But I know that's the way things are in all the TV shows, really. Oh, except for Enterprise. Enterprise made it harder because we didn't quite have a universal translator yet. But um, I kind of like how they make it so the universal translator has to actually spend a little time with a totally alien language, you know, before it can figure it out. Right. I like that a little better. Well, I'm sure they can just download everything that the board know about the the aliens from Seven of Nine, who somehow remembers it all. And they can just, uh, they've updated the Universal Translator to cover every species the Borg has ever encountered. Wow. I'm sure that's it. You you have such a desire to explain things. (laughs) I just really don't like when the TV show and these comics rely on Seven of Nine remembering everything the Borg had ever encountered, ever. Right. I mean, because, yes, they had a hive mind, but they were still all connected, and somewhere there was a computer database or something that they were all connected to, and they were getting the information from there. She's 
not connected to anything. She should be yeah. just as dumb as anybody else on the ship. Right. Until we find out that the implants she has left, like 20% of her implants or something like that, is enough for her to do complex engine simulations. I'm okay with that part. <laughs> Doing a simulation or something that's internal, that, I, okay, I'll buy that. But it was, it's the, yeah, I, oh, yeah. this is species 43241, and we, you know, blah, 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 and unless you were there, Seven, I'm not buying it, that you, right. you remember this. That's right. Well, she she downloaded the copy. She downloaded everything before she everything. I, I agree. And I then know. when then when they get disconnected, they shouldn't be all that upset. You know, like when Hugh got disconnected. Hey, but that's a social thing. All right, I still remember everything. Well, I know, but you're not you're not contact. You're not exchanging ideas with all the other drones. Anyways, so their ships are pretty cool too. Uh, again, asymmetrical. They Almost look kind of like, like them. A little bit, same color, uh, but it's it's like like these real like sails. Uh, the ships almost look like these like three or so very sharp sails that are all connected together into some central part that looks like it's got a lot of lot of bits. I don't know. Right. Uh, interesting. Interesting. But I thought ships. the sails kind of looked like the the two two parts of their heads. Well, oh. kind of, but some of them have three. Right, right. You know, yeah, free sales. Add so. an extra bump and boom. Uh, okay, yeah. All right, different, interesting, asymmetrical, like that. Right, right. Yeah, so I got a question. Um, yeah. The planet that the uh, planet killer, Doomsday Machine, whatever we want to call it, is eating, they, they said they were getting distress calls from it, right? Uh, I had to go back and look. I know they were getting... I think they were getting distress calls, but whether it was from the ships or the planets, I don't remember. Okay, but don't they say that it was a primitive race or something that that was on that planet? Because this is okay, not hold Tam's. On. This is not Tam's planet, is it? Okay, so this this part was a little confusing. Okay. So we know that there is a a third planet that has intelligent life on it. And I thought that was the one that was, you know, relatively primitive, or at least they didn't have spaceflight capability. And then the fourth planet was just a normal lifeless ball. And then where does Tam's planet come in? Was that the fifth planet? Or right. was that a planet that would... I, I think it probably would have been like the fifth planet or something like that. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. It, I think the, so. Quite a few inhabited planets more. in this one solar system. Right. At least two. So... Right. I'm just trying to figure out where the primitive one was and uh, and why it was so primitive if the planet next door to it had space travel and would be visiting it. I mean, did they have well, the Prime Directive, too? Maybe they... they had a Prime Directive. Who knows? Hmm. Look, they're just trying to make it convenient here. Yeah. <laughs> so you destroy a whole planet of people, but they were primitive, so you don't have to feel bad about it. They, they, they didn't know any better. I think that's what they were getting at. Uh, uh, right. Or, or, yeah, right. And something that I got confused about is I almost thought the third planet was Tam's planet. Um, but he said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they said, oh, here, you are going to attack the monster to save my people? So Tam's people are on the third planet then? I don't think so, because later they seem like they're on, the, on one of the planets that haven't been destroyed yet. Third planet. Well, the third planet hasn't been destroyed yet. That's the one they're trying to save. But doesn't it get destroyed here? Okay, so there's the fifth planet that was destroyed. The fourth planet they're in the middle of destroying. And then the third planet was the one they're trying to save. Right. Okay. And I thought... Well, anyway. Looking at that particular line that Tam said, uh, you're going to attack the monster to save my people? I mean, that sounds like Tam's people are on the third planet. Mm, okay, but it was a little right. it was a little confusing. I right. will definitely say that it was a little confusing. So it did sound like there were several inhabited worlds, and the planet killers working from the outside in. Yep. Yummy, yummy! A little afternoon snack. So what does he do? I, I, remind, remind me in the in the TV show, it shoots out this beam and then breaks up the planet and then just kind of funnels it all into its mouth. Yep, 
That's okay. exactly it. So it's got like a Borg cutting beam that it carves up the planets with. Mm. Well, it's about to have a little Voyager snack. Ew, yes. But they do make the point about uh, Voyager being too small to worry about. And when you are cutting up a planet, I guess that's probably true. I don't know. That last picture shows it going into the mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's little, like a little popcorn shrimp. Small but tasty. Well, the giant uh, whale shark eats little tiny plankton. Or no, the blue whale eats plankton. Yeah. A lot of it. Right. Little Voyagers. There you go. There you go. Oh, little Voyagers. Oh. I guess my, my only other comment was looking forward to the next issue whose title is Old Tricks. I was thinking to myself, Old Tricks? And then, well, we'll talk about it in the next issue. All right. I, I had fears when I saw Old Tricks and this is the Doomsday Machine. Hmm. What could they be doing in the next issue? Anyway, I guess we'll find out. They'll get uh, William Decker to come back and perform what his uh, his father or his grandfather or father did all those years ago. Uh, would that be it? With I, I guess I guess it would be his father, wouldn't it? Or or maybe not a direct descendant at all. Maybe, maybe an uncle or something. An uncle or something. Yeah, Commodore Decker. Right. Okay. Well, let's find out. So this is Planet Killer number two, subtitled Old Tricks. Published date is April 2001. Everybody is the same as far as the creative team. Oh, no, actually, letter is different. So Jenna Garcia is the letter on this one rather than Ryan Klein. Other than that, everybody's the same. The cover features the heads of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy on the left half with an L-Cars display background. The new hotness, 7 of 9, takes up the right half with a, with a partial view of the maw of the doomsday machine behind her. The issue opens with a two-page spread showing the primary members of the bridge crew and the alien guest unconscious. Voyager, with the white-hot brightness of the doomsday machine cutting beam behind it, takes up the entire right corner. The crew begins to come to. Seven checks the sensors and reports it's returned to the fifth planet. It must have considered them too small to consume as fuel. Harry reports damage and casualties all over the ship. Tuvok reports weapons back online. Shields are returning. Bellana reports impulse power online. Warp drive will be back up in minutes. At the rate it's consuming the fifth planet, it will reach the third inhabited planet in about four hours. Janeway calls a meeting. She wants a way to beat this thing in their second go-around. Everyone has their grave doubts, but Harry comes up with a reference to a machine just like this one that Captain James Kirk defeated about a hundred years ago. Harry recounts the events of the Doomsday Machine. The main point is they drove the damaged starship constellation down the machine's throat and set its antimatter chamber to explode while in the machine. They quickly come to the conclusion they need to use the alien Tam's damaged ship in place of the constellation. Tam agrees, and they put their plan into motion. Repairs are made to Tam's ship. Harry uses Spock's old shield adjustments to better prepare Voyager shields. Seven travels with Tam onto the repaired alien ship and gets it into position. Voyager fires on the machine. It turns to deal with Voyager, and as it does, Tam takes the ship into the machine's maw. Transporter lock is maintained on Tam and Seven, as a 30-second timer is activated. Even with the timer activated, Tam and Seven stay aboard to guide the ship deeper into the maw. At the last minute, they are beamed out just as the ship explodes. A blinding white light is all around Voyager as text reads, Some old tricks don't work a second time. To be continued. It didn't work? That's what it's saying. Hmm. Bummer. Yeah, bummer, dude. So, I guess, what, what did they say towards the end? Um, Tam's ship would only create um, 90% of the explosion 
force or something like that as the constellation did. So I guess that was their way of trying to explain why it didn't work a second time, I guess. Right. Although, quite frankly, I mean, you'd think an exploding ship inside of the hull made of pure neutronium or whatever the heck made up material that was. Um, <laughs> you'd think that'd still do a lot of damage inside, but whatever. Right. So, is this the only ship that Tam's people have left? So they threw everything at the uh, the, the creature and this is the only one? Well, that's what they're implying. Because hmm. in that battle thing they showed on the one page back in issue one, right. you know, they were showing, well, three, maybe four ships exploding. Right. And they probably had more. So, I, I guess. Yeah, it just seems, seems odd that they would, uh, I mean, throw everything at it. Well. But I guess, I guess it makes sense. I, well, I, I, yeah, I guess it's good to hold some things in reserve, but we didn't at Wolf 359. It's true. Look yeah. where it got us. Yeah. Yeah. So the, okay, so they spent seven pages of the book retelling a story that probably 90% of us reading the book are all familiar with. So, I mean, the artwork was nice and everything, but it just seems like, I don't know, seven pages. I mean, I boiled it down into a few sentences. Right. But, you know, I guess there are some young'uns that might have picked up the book that might not know the story. So it just seemed like a lot of filler to me. That's all. Right. and and I'll, But I'll be honest, it's been so long since I've seen... Uh, that that episode that yeah. I did enjoy the uh, the recap. Okay, maybe a little more than you did. Cool. Because I'll be honest, I had kind of in misremembering thought that Matt Decker took in the constellation, no. not not the shuttlecraft. Yeah. So yeah. The, that part was actually I was like, oh, I've been misremembering it all these years. So right. Yeah, because yep. I knew he went crazy, and but I was thinking that he sacrificed himself, and and his sacrifice actually succeeded. Yeah, but nope. Well, it succeeded in giving Kirk and company the idea. So, right, right idea. Not enough firepower. But I, I am happy that this didn't work, and that Janeway and company needs to figure this out for themselves. So, otherwise, it would have been a real wasted issue. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, come on. You're gonna run now, mind you. In the recap, it talks about it shows a little uh, thing about where Spock actually says, "I wonder how many of these things are out there." You know, roaming the galaxy, right? And up oh, here, one is. So it kind of had a nice lead in to kind of give it a little bit more justification. But it's like you're not just gonna rehash Doomsday Machine and do the same trick, are you? And luckily, they're not. Right. So we'll see what. We'll see what advantages, what benefits they have on Voyager they can bring to bear on bringing this beastie down. Yep. We'll know here in a second. Yep. So, we didn't mention it in the last issue, but the last issue does state that it's going to be issue one of four, and then here it's two of three. Yeah. And so... I thought that well maybe they just lost a book and they have they're having to cram in more story into the three issues and that was originally four but because these stories are so quick reads and not a lot going on uh, I just can't imagine there ever actually being a fourth book can you me neither I mean with <laughs> I quite frankly I think they're stretching things as it is exactly could you see them actually stretching this into a fourth issue mm. right it would be. Unless they had some other subplots going on that they had to cut out, but I don't see any evidence of that from the first book yeah. when it was still one of four. Yeah, I I think it's definitely just a, a typo on the first right. issue's cover. Just a typo. Hmm. So Tam's ship looks kind of interesting on the inside. Not not that they show a lot of it, but it looks very open and airy on the inside. Right. Um, and they also sh- show Tam and Seven basically like on a platform or something that has like almost nothing on it. 
Yeah, it so, kind of looks like the um, uh, what, what's that global observation thing they have there in Voyager and Enterprise D and the movie. The oh, stellar cartography. Stellar cartography. Yeah, yeah, in fact, I thought that's what that was. I, I didn't realize they were on Tam's ship. Oh, I think they were on Tam's ship. Yeah. It would make sense. And then yeah, they and beam, beamed him over right at the last minute. Well, yeah, so it looked like Seven was over there repairing the ship. But then when they actually moved out, Tam showed up there. Right. And they both flew it in. But it looks like they're just on like a platform or something. So it's like, uh, so that's their bridge? Or this is auxiliary control? Or it looks like it's just a, like a bridge. Right. In a very open area. Eh, whatever. It's an alien ship. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, like I said, I thought that they were just somehow in stellar cartography doing it, but it would make more sense they're actually on the other ship. Right. Yeah, and speaking of the other ship, so they set a timer? Well, wouldn't you think, you know, maybe remote control would have been a little bit more technologically advanced rather than, like, turning the egg timer clock <laughs> to 30 seconds? I don't know. I right. I just I just thought having a timer seemed a little odd, like an odd choice. Well, maybe they couldn't get a signal to it for remote control. Maybe. Maybe. That would explain it. But I mean, it is going to be inside of a giant monster's mouth. <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, fun fact, in the original Taz TV show, Doomsday Machine, uh, some scenes that showed the damaged constellation, mm-hmm. especially the one where it was flying into the maw of the, um, of the Doomsday Machine, uh, they actually, supposedly, they actually used an AMT model kit of the Enterprise, and they just kind of like... Uh, you know, did a little Bic treatment to the engines and stuff to damage it up. Oh, really? Yeah, because basically, if you take a look at the original print, of course, now they've got cleaned up prints right. with, with more modern special effects involved. If you take a look at the original prints and the original special effects, it looks really bad. <laughs> the damaged constellation looks really bad. <laughs> I'll have to go pull that up and watch that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the Doomsday Machine is one of those episodes that the uh, that the reworking of the special effects definitely uh, helped. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let me see. Yeah, that's all I have to say about this one. All right, I just want to mention real quick the um, the writers, uh, Dean Wesley Smith and Catherine. Christine, Christine Catherine Rush. Okay. Uh, I've read quite a few of their books. They, they've written quite a few uh, pocketbook novels. Huh. Um, so I was really excited when, when this came up because they're really good writers. So I, I highly recommend uh, you read some of their... They've written quite a few uh, Voyager stuff. And then they were part of the like some of the crossover stuff, like the Day of Honor and Invasion and Section 31 crossovers that they did with the other series. So Mm -hmm. I think this is their only foray into the comic book world, but um, they are really good authors. It's a husband and wife team. Mm -hmm. Cool. uh, Look them up. Yeah, I'm not familiar with them, but um, you know, this story is not bad, um, but it just it's so derivative. But let's see how creative they get in the, the third issue. Right. This is actually one of their last uh, Star Trek contributions. So oh. two, two more novels came out after this one, um, and then the last one being an Enterprise crossover, or an Enterprise novel. Oh, cool. And then they've not done anything since, so it's 13 years. Oh, wow. Moved on to other things, I guess. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. All right, well, you want to go on into issue three? Let's do that. All right, so this one's entitled Death. 
It has a cover date of May 2001, and uh, all the writing, art, and lettering staff is the same. So the cover shows the Doctor being absorbed by alien tubes and tentacles. So it almost looks like, like something from the movie Alien. All right, so the story starts with the trick that they borrowed from Kirk's playbook not working. The planet killer is still on its way to destroy another planet. It is firing on Voyager, and Voyager takes a hit, and it cannot take another. Janeway orders the retreat. Once clear, the Voyager crew brainstorm on how to stop the planet killer. Seven suggests Borg nanoprobes, since the creature-slash-machine seems to have some organic parts. They speculate on how they can get the nanoprobes into the creature, and they devise the idea of modifying torpedoes and forcing them down its throat. They attempt this several times, but each time Voyager launches the probe, the planet killer destroys it before it can reach its maw. Thus starts brainstorming session number two. Now they suggest that perhaps the planet killer may not notice the doctor beaming into it directly. Then he can inject the probes manually. The plan is now to get the Delta Flyer close enough to beam the Doctor over while Voyager pro provides a distraction. After a few close calls with both Voyager and the Flyer avoiding the Planet Killer's attacks, the Doctor is beamed in and he delivers the nanoprobes. Almost immediately, the Planet Killer is a dead and lifeless tube in space. The alien pilot, Tam, requests that his people have the husk. The crew speculate on what they'll do with it. Kim suggests that they might build a shrine of all the lost lives, similar to what the people of Rigel did after the classic episode, Doomsday Machine. The end. Okay. Okay. So, I saw a little formula here in the ending. So the writers took what kind of advantages, assets, does uh, Voyager have that they could bring to bear on this? Uh, they have the Doctor, who's not human, okay? And they've got the Delta Flyer, so another capable ship to throw at it. And um, so it seemed, and there are other things they use, but basically it seemed like you know, what kind of things are unique to Voyager and what can they use here? Um, and that's how they came up with the game plan, the writers, I think. Uh, the Voyager-specific solution. Don't forget the Borg nanoprobes. There you go. So, seven, always an asset, and the Borg nanoprobes. There you go. Right, right. Yep, that's true. Now, the cover of this one showed the Doctor... Uh, being, like, sucked up into some organic parts of the inside, I guess, of the Doomsday Machine. But, of course, that never happened. No. No. He just strolls in. And he actually had a hypo spray or something, right? Yep. Just gave it a couple injections. <laughs> Done. Okay. Ready to go. So, um, yeah, it wasn't bad. You know, it's... They went with their assets. It kind of made sense. Get inside of it. You know, attack it from the inside. Leverage the fact it's got biological components to it. And, uh, yeah, it, it works. I, I wasn't overly excited about it, but <laughs> it, it works. Although I will say that, that their style of drawing, which, again, shows, like, a lot of stuff happening in one page. So, again, a lot of, like, like one page big drawings that has lots of things going on in them and sub panels. Um, I think that was was helpful in keeping the tension going and keeping things moving along quickly, I think. Right. So I do kind of like that. Um, a, a beautiful little drawing of the Delta Flyer uh, it, it, during the attack. Yeah, you forget really how, nice. how good that ship looked. That's a exactly. That's a good looking ship, um, despite Tom Paris trying to make it into a hot rod. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, what was it, Tuvok that was there, like, holding him back a little bit with... Uh... Right, yeah, because he wanted to put fins on it and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but still, a nice-looking ship. Yeah, it really um, is. Yeah. Nice drawing. No, I I enjoyed this story, and I really enjoyed the artwork. I thought the artwork was really good. Yeah. Uh, and, like, when they were shooting the probes and the, and the planet killer was destroying them, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's probably what you were getting to where they... It's split into like five panels, but it's not panels. It's just one large planet of the of the planet. But you can see like maybe multiple probes exploding, so to show the different times. Right. Uh, really, really interesting choice of artwork there. Right. And it's beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's just pretty cool. Yeah, there's another really good one towards the end where where they're going in close to the uh, planet killer, and there's a nice shot of both the Voyager. Voyager, and then right in front of it uh, is the Delta Flyer, and then there's all these uh, these chunks of planet all around, and then there's like laser beams shooting out, I guess, from the Planet Killer, but uh, in all directions. Very, very nice drawing. Incredible amount of detail with all the little various sized uh, pieces of planet rubble all over the place. Um, that must have taken some time to draw. Right. And looks quite good. Um, I thought it was odd how the um, at the end, Seven says the disabled machine is worthless. Uh, I mean, she actually says it's worthless. But it's like, it's made out of pure neutronium. Which, you know, appears to be a pretty hard material. You know. Um, it appears to be like the hardest material known to our tech. Uh, or their tech. Right. So I would think a big old hunk of that stuff would probably be worth a lot. Uh, of course, how would you cut it up? I'm not quite sure. Right. But uh, <laughs> if it's that strong, um, I don't know how you'd cut it up, but whatever. I just liked uh, Paris's suggestion, just throwing it into the sun. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, if, if you ever need to get rid of something, throw it into the sun. Hey, I think that's a great way to go. I mean, if there's one thing that's going to have enough destructive force to do something like that, it's going to be the sun. <laughs> yeah. So, great ad near the front for Farscape, DVD and VHS, full-page ad. Love Farscape. Yeah. Yeah, I need to... I, I never did actually finish that. I need to start it up again. I, I think it, it kind of started running out of juice towards the end, personally. But um, most of those seasons, most of those episodes, most of those seasons, I thought it was quite good. Quite good indeed. And did you watch the Peacekeeper War, the miniseries? The... Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, nah, I've been wanting to watch those. Yeah. It is worthwhile. Whenever you find the time for it. Okay, one last, one last comment. Um, seven... Okay, so when they're talking about doing this, Seven says they are risking the doctor's life by this plan if they go ahead with the plan. Now, I just want to talk about that for a minute because the doctor's a program. Um, His main home has always been inside of, well, for the most of the series, has been inside of the ship's computer or maybe a dedicated computer within sickbay. That's his original home. Now, I know that one episode where they kind of had the Bill Gates kind of character or whatever. Right. I think that's where they got the, uh, the hollow emitter or the, the portable hollow transmi- transmitter thing. Um, did they download the doctor into that portable hollow emitter and erase him from the, the computer's databanks? I mean, the Voyager's computer's databanks? Yeah, is he only does he only exist in that portable hollow transmitter thing? No, he goes into the into the into the ship's database as well. Uh, okay, so I got to call foul on Seven's assertion that you're going to kill the Doctor because you got a backup copy of him. You know, he he well, also exists in the does, computer. He doesn't have a backup copy. He oh come on transfers his essence from one. Oh come on to the other. He's a program. In the end, he is a program. And we both use computers. We know how that works. Right, but this is future tech. He's a sentient program, and he can only exist in one place at a time. Uh, 
Okay? Okay? His soul can only be in one place at a time, can I? I don't understand why you're having a hard time with it. No, that's soul. Give me a break. Next, you're going to tell me that you can just transfer data uh, that was my next point. body to another body. That, that was, was my next point. Crazy. That crazy. was my next point. <laughs> now, now, okay. Okay, so... In Nemesis, when the original data was destroyed, um, did they reload... Did they reload data into that older robot, or is that older robot truly his own thing? I don't remember. No, at one point they made a copy of data and put it into before to try to see if it would trigger. Okay. If it would, if it would help before become more normal. Ah. <laughs> and then, and then Jordy's like, oh, "What do you think about giving him all your memories?" And he's like, ah, "I don't care. I'm a robot." okay so that's how he is data but he's not data right and i know he's a a more limited chassis design but okay right which somehow that that changes because we've seen comic books where he's back to being full-blown data oh is he well you've seen it the countdowns and things like that oh yeah that's right of course but, of course, they had to have a way of having Brent Spiner, who was getting older, continue on in the role of a robot. That should never change. So that's... So that's, that's why they did before? Oh, that's completely why they did before. Mm. Yeah, you've said that before. I've just never... I've never heard that anywhere but you. I heard it from Brent Spiner. Ah, well, if you've heard it from him, that must be true. In an interview. Yeah, well, I mean, look at Brent Spiner now. Now, mind you, he's a lot older now than he was back when they were still making the movies. But he knew there had to be a way that they could explain the little looser skin around the jowls of Data. Right. Anyway, if they were going to continue to make make movies and stuff. Which they were hoping. Unfortunately, they did not. Unfortunately not. But if they were... um, they would have had a way, had to have had to have an explanation for how uh, data is looking a little little older these days, right? Yeah. And do you think it would have if they would have continued making episodes or movies? Do you think it would have been more and more the the data in Picard show? Um, it already was, right? I that's the la- yep. I completely agree. I would hope not. I mean, I I would. Would have loved to have seen, you know, a, a Crusher episode or something like that. Yeah. That, that's what I loved about the show, you know, that I think Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, they, they, all, they all did the same thing. But you did an episode focusing on one of the other minor characters, which, which yeah. the, the original series never did. You always had the big three, and, and that, was all you, that was as far as you're ever going to get. Sure. But uh, <clears throat> that's what I think, you know, obviously TV shows has that luxury where they can do an episode all based on, you know, a side character. Sure. That you can't do in a movie. Yeah. Too much at risk on a movie, so you have to do your, your big three or big two or whatever. It's not fair. Well, okay. And I also think that as as we got into the 80s and 90s, having bigger ensemble casts was something that was starting to happen more. So you, you, we're back in the 60s, pretty much. It was relatively simple. You just had a small number of people that you f- tend to focus on every week, or even one person. I mean, most TV shows were focused on one person. Uh, Mannix. Uh, okay. Uh, McMillan and wife had two. But a lot of times, they frequently just focus on, like, a main character, or maybe two. Right. So it was good. Uh, a little more variety. As uh, as we got more in the 80s and 90s. Okay. We were more sophisticated in our television at that time. I think so. Uh, multiple storylines going on within one episode. Right. Um, stories that went beyond just one episode or maybe two episodes. Uh, a, story li- a story arc that would go through the entire, seri- I mean, the entire season. So I know that's something you've mentioned in the past that you liked. Right. About right. some of the uh, series. 
So, on the original series, was there only the one two-parter? The Menagerie episode? Menagerie. I'll be think for a second. I think it was. Uh, I think it was, too. I think that was it. For two-parters. Everything right. else was pretty much a um, standalone. Okay. Islands unto themselves, mostly. Right. Interesting. I wonder how I mean, often, I mean how, how prevalent was the two-parter back then? Was that... Was it a fairly new concept? I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that there have been a lot of Man From U.N.C.L.E. movies that were made out of stitched together episodes. Right. So I think that series had um, multiple part episodes that they've been able to stitch together into like, gosh, I think there's like as many as nine or so uh, movies that are available because um, I think that's the whole thing MGM did with that series is they they packaged some of the episodes up as movies and sold them in other uh, countries as standalone movies. So I think some, but I, I think most are just standalone episodes. That's pretty much what they did in the 60s. Can't think of any older shows than that that had two-parters. Right. Okay. And, of course, the main reason they had the two-parter with Menagerie is just because they had all that footage from the original pilot. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't waste that. Me too. Well, speaking of two-parters, I guess Batman. That oh, was, that was yeah. all two-parters. Well, that was a half-an-hour show, too, so that right. kind of makes more sense. What a great show that was. So there, you had previously mentioned there was going to be some kind of animated series or something? Uh, animated movie, yeah, with all the oh, a movie. original cast, yep. Okay. Well, I look forward to that. Of course you are. Because it's cool. going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. Okay, that's it for this one, I think. All right, well, to m- next week we'll be back with uh, just two episodes, or two books. Uh, Avalon Rising, which is another Voyager min- uh, special, and one called Enter the Wolves, which I think is a Romulan story based in the Taz time frame. Hmm. Cool. Looking forward to that. It might be Sarek, now that I think about it. I don't know. I haven't read it. I've read the Avalon Rising, but mm-hmm. I've not read uh, Into Into the Wolves. So, Cool. Okay, well, then uh, be back next week. Same Trek time, same Trek channel. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.